What's going on, everyone? Taylor Kyles here for CLNS Media, coming at you with another episode of Pat's Daily Second of the Day, brought to you by our friends at FanDuel Sportsbooks. More from them later. But for now, long-awaited guests. I've been dying to get this guy on the show. We've had Brett on, but now we have the other co-creator of the Bootleg Football Podcast, EJ Snyder, coming on the show for the first time to talk the Patriots, the offseason, and a potential path for them to rebuild this offseason and get back into playoff contention. EJ, before we get into the big stuff, how you doing, brother? And welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I am doing great. I am just hanging on by my fingernails because it is draft season, and that means... Early mornings, late nights, lots of film. Uh, one of the best times of the year, one of the busiest times of the year, but also one of the most fun. So I'm having a good time. Yeah, I'm kind of learning as I go. I started doing this kind of midway through last offseason. So this is the first time I'm getting the full kind of a shakedown. <laughs> and now there's like just instability all over the place. A lot of change. So constantly learning every day, but that's what keeps it fun. But before we get into some of the topics, I want to know all the things the Patriots have done. Gerard Mayo. Elliot Wolf, even like the de facto GM, pretty much a brand new offensive staff, special team staff, a lot of holdovers on defense, but just a lot of new faces and change everywhere. What have your impressions been of the Patriots offseason thus far? I think it might be more or a bigger move than a lot of people are thinking. A lot of people are thinking with the continuation in terms of, you know, the heir apparent for many years now, if you've listened to folks, you know, in and around Patriots organization has been Gerard Mayo. There was a little flirtation with Vrabel, right? Because being a former player and a Ring of Honor guy, I get it. But Mayo really has been the focus. So a lot of people think that I think this is going to be a, a very smooth and kind of um, non-impactful transition. And I don't see it that way. I, th I think Mayo, yes, it's a smooth transition. He has been inside the organization for years. I don't think it's going to be business as usual. And you've seen that from some of the hires. Right. In terms of bringing in Alex Van Pelt, the offense is going to be very different. You talked about Scott Wolf being, the you know, de facto GM. It's it's not going to be the head coach choosing players anymore, at least not, you know, in isolation. So I think there's going to be more change. And I actually think Pats fans are kind of ready for that. Uh, I have lots of Pats fans in my life and they were definitely ready for some things to shift. And I think they're going to get quite a few of those shifts with this change or these changes, I should say. The good years were good, but boy, has it been a rude awakening. But like you said, a lot of changes. The culture, I mean, yesterday we got to meet the coordinators, got to meet the new assistant coaches. The vibe is very, very different. When it was announced that we would actually get to like meet the assistant coaches, it was, it was, <laughs> what? It was like, wait, what is going on here? They got rid of the dais. It's literally brand new top to bottom. But, you know, it's at least exciting. Some change, but, you know, the real excitement will come when we actually see how all this plays out. So, we're going to go through all the different phases of the offseason. Got to start with the in-house for agents. The Patriots, they have a lot of cap space. The reason they have so much cap space is because they have a ton of free agents and a lot of players who are impact players for them that a lot of people are hoping get re-signed. So, in your opinion, who are the in-house free agents on the team that they should prioritize bringing back within the next uh, like month or so? Yeah, it's a great question. And with every team in this portion of the offseason – there is, you know, they identify their needs and then they start talking about how they're going to meet those needs because there's a couple of different ways to do that. Typically, one is sign a free agent, whether it's your own or somebody else's once free agency opens or draft somebody. Yes, there are trades, but less likely to happen. So it's really, hey, are we going to get this from the pro player stock or are we going to, you know, draft a college player to fill these needs? 
And it's always a balance, right? Between the money you have, the needs you have, and the question of, hey, this guy played pretty well. He knows our system. Is he the best possible uh, addition? Maybe not, but there are other reasons why guys get signed, hometown discounts, all kinds of things. So given all that, kind of give a couple of options for each starting off with those in-house free agents, probably Trent Brown, Michael Onwenu, Mac Wilson, maybe Kyle Duggar, but Kyle Duggar has an asterisk next to him. And the asterisk is how much he's going to want. He's been a, he's been a tremendous impact player, but we talked about changes. So if the defense stays largely the same and they rely on him to do all the things all over the defense that they have in years past, yes, you resign that guy because he becomes a linchpin. If the defense is going to be less dependent on that role that they've sort of funneled towards Kyle Duggar and, or they're not terribly comfy with his coverage grade, which was not tremendous last year, they might be willing to spend less than he wants. And then he would go hang a shingle out on the open market and we'd see what would happen. So that's kind of the asterisk. Again, if they like what he's doing, and I think Mayo probably does because they, they push so much of the defense onto him in the past couple of years they probably don't want to lose that that's a that's like a one and a half hole to create not just a one player hole so those are the guys i would say yeah you're gonna line those guys up talk to them and unless something's really crazy with money you don't need to make another hole that you then have to fill because again if you don't re-sign in-house free agents then you gotta go out onto the market possibly overpay for a free agent or spend one of the precious draft picks so those guys, kind of status quo. Then the nice-to-have list, I think, is Kendrick Bourne. Depending on his rate, he's probably not going to try and break the bank. He was pretty effective. He had zero drops last year, which is pretty impressive. Um, Hunter Henry, if he's reasonable, I think if he wants to stay, play with a new quarterback, likes the direction, you know, meets with Alex Van Pelt and says, hey, I can do that for you. Um, he would be on my list. Miles Bryant, because, again, he's effective and versatile. Is he going to... Is he going to like move the needle in a lot of ways? No. Are they really comfortable with him? Can he do a lot of things for them? You need guys like that on the roster. So I would look at Miles Bryant. Farrell Brown, again, if you're not going to sign Farrell Brown, what are you going to do? Are you going to go out and you know throw dollars at a guy like Noah Fant, or are you going to try and draft a tight end you like maybe in the middle rounds? If you like Farrell Brown and say, hey, I think he can be better with a new quarterback, like you keep him. Jalen Mills. Again, a roster filler, really good run defender, not a guy you want to isolate in coverage a lot, but look, Patriots play plenty of three safety looks. Everybody does. He can be a very effective third safety up near the line. And then Josh Uche, I know this one's going to get a lot of Patriots fans sort of uptight about this. Only if he's and only as a situational pass rusher. Yes, sir. I do not want him as a run defender. I do not want him playing a majority of downs, but as a fireballer off the edge, as a fourth or fifth rotational sort of whatever you want to call that role in the, in the Patriots defense, like I'm fine with it. He would have to accept probably pretty close to a minimum contract because he's not played up to his draft status at this point, but he is good in that role. It's just, you have to sort of narrow that role and pay him appropriately. And if he thinks he can make more elsewhere and he might be able to, you let that guy go. Absolutely. And I like that you mentioned early on the Trent Brown and Mac Wilson. Mac Wilson is someone I feel like really slides under the radar, but one had a much better season once he got better in the system. They even acknowledged they didn't use him optimally in his first year with the team. He also put on a lot of muscle, was better as a run defender, more consistent as a tackler. And he has that coverage ability, but then the pass rush, that's where I'm kind of saying, like you said, unless Josh Uche is coming to you on a really 
inexpensive deal, put Mac Wilson there, get a rookie who is really just someone that you want to develop, but it's just going to come in and immediately be an impact player as a pass rusher. I like that. Can you let the people know why Trent Brown is so valuable? Because he's in kind of that Mac Jones sort of territory where because of behind the scenes stuff, it's kind of like, all right, if people in the building want to bring him back, sure. But I can also see why they'd want to move on. But also he's a really good player and he's probably going to come cheap. So please, from your perspective, why is he somebody that you had prioritized so high? I think he is a good player. I don't think he's going to come cheap uh, just because mm-hmm. of positional value. Like he is still at a place. We used to think when tackles approach, you know, 30 that, you know, they would start to decline and and 10 to 15 years ago, they did. Now tackles play 34, 35, 36. We see some 38 year old tackles out there. Like he's still got at least you know, I would say a full three to four year contract probably in him playing at a good solid level. And again, it's addition by subtraction or keeping that from happening because if he's not the answer, what are you going to do? There's not an heir apparent. There's not somebody in waiting and it's a very expensive position to fill either through the draft or especially through free agency, because if you're getting that position through free agency, you're going to overpay for it. That's just the way it works. So if you can get him on a reasonable, even a high end reasonable deal, you have familiarity, you have a very solid base of play. I think fans are always looking for better and it's not necessarily out there in this case, certainly not at the amount you can pay for it. So you got to look at it in terms of the, you know, putting your arms around the financials for the entire offseason and saying, okay, if we don't do Trent Brown, the price tag goes up no matter what. It's either got to be a high draft pick or it's got to be a big free agent contract. And that means we can do less of these other things down the list. Absolutely. Actually, we have a good question. While we're on the subject of the offensive line, Mike and Wenu. Now, he's kind of in that Kyle Duggar area where you think he might get franchise tag. There's been a ton of reports saying that the Patriots might not bring him back, which I think would be a galaxy brain decision, especially if you're trying to reintroduce a different culture where you actually pay the players you draft and perform well for you and, you know, emerge as leaders on your team. So how do you value Mike and Wendy? Do you think he's someone they should bring back? Or do you have an opinion on whether he should play tackle or guard? And do you think it makes any sense at all for them to say, all right, we're going to let this guy walk? It again, it makes some sense if they have a plan or they have a reason. That's the other thing is we don't, no matter who we are, we we're not in the building and we don't get to see all that stuff that goes on. So if there's a reason that they don't want to have him back, whether it's fit with the system, whether it's his fit within the team, whether there's been friction, I don't know any of that. Nobody really knows any of that, but if there's a reason that they're going to like, Sometimes you see a team put a contract out and you're like, what in the world? That's super low. The answer is we don't really want you back. Like if you want to come back for this, we realize it's kind of a disrespectful offer, but we're fine with you walking. We would not have made that offer publicly unless we were fine with that. We want to look like we tried and you said no, and that's fine. Sometimes you see that happen. If there's something like that going on and they're already moving on mentally, they know they're going to, you know, They've got a free agent they like lined up uh, because regardless of tampering, they might <laughs> already. I hate to hate to tampering. break it to all the virgin ears, right? But <laughs> those things are already being discussed prior to the combine. Um, so if that's if that's fine, if they like him in their system, again, it becomes sort of 
keeping away from subtraction by just keeping somebody in the fold. I'm not making another hole. If they're comfortable and they feel like he's going to transition well for what Alex Van Pelt wants to do and the versatility you mentioned, tackle or guard, I think that's just a plus, right? He's played both in their system. Is he better in one spot? I would probably keep him at tackle. Is he fine at guard? Yeah, he's really good at guard. And anybody that can be, anybody that's not a liability at either of those positions is a great asset. So again, if everything's cool sort of behind the scenes with his fit with the team and the scheme moving forward, because this is going to change a little bit on offense, I'd, I'd keep him around. He's a, again, he is a mid-level NFL functional player in a lot of his sort of grades or outlooks with some high flashes to go with that. It's not consistently great across the board, but he is better than average in some facets. And I would say average at everything else that's a really good NFL player. So as long as you're comfortable with him, you keep him. And then he's had like such a funky career because he comes into the league. He's yes. used it's like he's used all over the place. They haven't made an extra tight end. Like, and then yeah. they finally start using him more consistently. This season, obviously, offseason ankle surgery, missed the entire summer, missed the opener, came back as a guard. And understandably, he wasn't really playing at his best level because he still had to recover because he's playing football for the first time in half a year. Then you saw it right tackle, you know. I feel like he's a Pro Bowl guard, but a very good tackle. But still, considering the value of the tackle position and in Alex Van Pelt's system, where like you had a Dewan Jones, where you had like a 350-pounder at tackle, you saw how that worked and how much they really like to pull the interior lineman kind of more than the outside guys. And with mm-hmm. the Patriots really not having a whole lot at tackle, as you mentioned, I definitely do think that if you know it lines up with what the Patriots want to do, kind of what they're feeling internally, I really do think he's someone you got to bring back. Now, extension candidates, what do we think? Because there's one guy that I feel like is not getting talked about enough, especially league-wide. But when it comes to, you know, talking about where the Patriots are going to spend their money, it's like, oh, throw a bag at Christian Wilkins. I feel like, especially in a new regime where you want to set a standard, this guy should probably be one of the people you try to pay before a lot of others. But let's see if we're on the same page about who this is. We are. It's the other Christian. It's Christian Barmore. Yes, sir. And and he's the one guy that when you're looking at who's eligible. There's not that many guys that are eligible for extension this year for the Patriots. Anyways, there's really only two. And the only one that should be at the top of their list with a bullet is Christian Barmore. And Christian Barmore was my DT one. The year he came out, I was hard and fast on that. I believe that he was, you know, a level above and would play well very quickly. He did. Um, you know, some things have gone on since then. It shouldn't change their mind. The price is only going to go up. You do not find guys like that on trees. You cannot typically buy them in free agency. They don't shake loose uh, for the most part. And if they do, they're wildly expensive. So the sooner they can sign him, the better off they are. Again, if he's amenable to that, he has superstar potential. We've seen him play at that level before. He is a defender that can impact the game from that position by himself, which is rare, probably five to seven of those guys league wide at his position. Um, And, you know, other than that, Sean Wade and Sean Wade is more the nice to have, right? You traded for him. He's played pretty well. Uh, He's versatile. He's got good size. He had a a good season. You don't break the bank, but again, if you could sign him and you're comfortable with him and you can sign him early, we see it. The prices never go down. We saw how much the salary cap is going to go up this year. Um, uh, Contracts are a percentage of a salary cap. 
So if it was 20% of the salary cap last year and it's 20% of the salary cap next year, it's going to be a lot more next year because the salary cap's taking a pretty significant jump this year. So again, the earlier you can sign a guy, the better off you're going to be. Absolutely. And Sean Wade, you know, the Patriots definitely do have a need at corner. They have a lot of bodies, but when it comes to guys, you're like, yeah, trot them out there, have a lot of confidence. Sean Wade had to play way more than anybody expected. And he was yes. solid. Like, really, the, the tackling is inconsistent. He gives up a lot of cushion. But at the same time, with what they were going through at cornerback, all the rotation, it was kind of one of those <laughs> things where it's like, hey, if they're not getting behind you, I can live with, like, a 15-yard stop route or something like that. It's not the worst thing in the world, but that is definitely an interesting candidate. But far more, truly. like I think, With a bullet. With a bullet. Thank you. Okay. Because I haven't heard it enough, and I needed to make sure that I wasn't going crazy, but I think he's just no. growing into a fantastic player, especially with his improvement in run defense. Like That was the big one where he, week in and week out, is eating double teams and then shedding them and still making plays. Yep. Glad we're on the same page there. All right. We're going to start moving on to some people outside of the organization that could potentially come in and make a difference. But first, quick word from our friends at FanDuel. Be right back. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same-game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit FanDuel.com Boston and shoot your shot. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. 21 plus and present in Massachusetts, hope is here. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com, gamblinghelplinema.org, or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call one 800 GAM1234. All right. Now moving on to free agency just a couple weeks away. We talked about how the Patriots should prioritize the people in-house. Let's talk about out of house because I feel like the defense is much more loaded than the offense in this free agency class. They got some guys I think you could probably get at a good value. The receiver market, who knows how that's going to shake out. There's some big names, but there's some weird caveats where you're not sure if they're going to be retained or what have you. But defense, especially with a team that, you know, that's definitely their strength. So it's okay. Do we want to spend our money and get some pieces on offense that we can maybe build around or just sustain us for a year? Or do we want to absolutely load up on the defensive side of the ball and win that way? Who are some of the people you think on either side of the ball they could bring in and they could be contributors and potentially difference makers? Yeah, difference maker is where it gets really interesting. <laughs> in terms of the offense versus the defense, the offense was not functional last year. Like, it, it, I don't care which league rank you want to look at. Um, offense is more important in the modern NFL than defense. Um, you could argue that pass defense is maybe equal to, but in terms of offense and scoring points, you need a passing game, and the Patriots did not have it. Now, multiple reasons for that, but wide receiver is certainly one of them. You talked about cornerback having a bunch of guys, but no one guy that you're really going to go point to and say, that's our guy, you know, third and seven, the entire stadium knows the ball's going to him. We're going to throw it anyways, and he's going to convert. They don't have that guy. So if they're not drafting one with number three, if they're not getting a quarterback through another means and, and picking up, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. at three, they probably try, they probably need to take a bunch of that money they have and try and go big at wide receiver. They need to get an alpha and it will be expensive. 
Make no mistake, wide receiver is one of the most expensive positions in the NFL. That's probably T. Higgins, maybe Calvin Ridley at a, at a lower level, depending on how comfortable they are with the reasons for his performance or lack thereof last year in Jacksonville. T. Higgins is going to be one of the top, if not the top, free agent wide receiver. They need a guy like that. They need that big target. They do not have him. Um, others, you probably still need some more, even if you do that, no matter whether you draft or sort of dump a free agent bag on a, on a wide receiver for an alpha, you still need more because I don't think I talked about Kendrick Bourne as a re-signed candidate. He's, he's a filler. He's a three or a four. He's fine. He's a role player, but he's not. He's like you know, Robert Woods vibes kind of, you know? Yeah, I would agree. With that, um, I think, you know, Robert Woods in his prime was better. Robert Woods, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. over the rest of his career has been somewhat similar. And I think a lot of people wouldn't say that about Kendrick Bourne because Kendrick's been a lot quieter. But um, some others, uh, DPJ, Donovan Peoples-Jones, uh, he'd come cheap and he knows Van Pelt's system. That could be a value um, or not. <laughs> That's up to Van Pelt. He knows him very well. He'll know whether he wants to throw some money at him. Sneaky one is Darnell Mooney. Darnell Mooney got open at the third best rate against man for all the free agent wide receivers this year. So he was, he was just in second read a lot of the time. Justin didn't make it to a second read a lot of time. Darnell Moody didn't just get bad all of a sudden. Um, And he may come at a discount. He could take the regular role and better. Like he could be, you know, punt returner. He could be definitely wide receiver three. He can play wide receiver two. He did in his most successful years in Chicago. Um, KJ Osborne would be another option that's down the board for me. Um, again, he can play outside. He does play outside in Minnesota or has played outside in Minnesota. Um, I don't think you probably need to sign both Mooney and Osborne. I think they overlap enough. Um, but those are just some targets. Again, you got to get your alpha one way or another. It's going to be expensive. You're either going to spend a really high pick on it or a big bag in free agency. And then you still need some other guys because you're not done with just one. Yeah, especially with the receiver position, even if they do get like a Ridley. My thought is, first, you got to get your quarterback and your offensive tackle position settled, and that's when you can have fun and get your nice, shiny wide receiver in the first round. So I'm really convinced that next year is the year that they get their true alpha number one receiver who doesn't have age concerns or injury concerns or, you know, something happened in his career and you didn't hear about him. It's like, nope, set your foundation, (laughs) get your pieces, and then you can have the fun toy. All right. Last one, we got draft bits. Combine next week. We got to start talking about this. Who do you think would fit? And also, after you go through that, I would love to know who Patriots fans, in your opinion, should have their eyes on during the combine next week. First, best fits. Yeah, best fits. So uh, I've got three positions here that I think there's some good options for in the draft. And the first one is song, strong safety if they move on from Duggar. That's the big caveat. So again, they, you know, they come to an impasse. It doesn't fit. Duggar moves on. Three guys, Cam Kitchens from Miami, Bo Braid from Maryland, and Sione Vaki from Utah. Sort of in that order. That's about where they'll be drafted. You know, they'll go off the board roughly in that order. Um, all three of those guys, I, you know, they're not necessarily going to be the physical marvels, all of them. Uh, very few people are that Duggar is. He's a freak athletically, but they all fill a very similar role and vibe to what Duggar has done in New England. So those are three strong safeties. Uh, nickel, if they don't re-sign Miles Bryant, and again, I know they've got a, a backup in waiting, which is great. That's a wonderful position to be in as a team. Uh, but 
again, Miles Bryant moves on, then you've got one guy in the nickel roll, and you definitely need more than that in the modern NFL. Um, Mike Sanistrill from Michigan is their nickel. A lot of people are familiar with him from the national championship run. He's a very good player. Jerry and Jones from Florida State. Um, again, another very successful, very versatile player. Got to talk to him at the Shrine Bowl. Um, he's a great dude. I love him. I love him as a player. He's not the fastest, but then again, neither's Miles Bryant. Right. He's very, <laughs> very effective, willing to, he's good tackler, well built, about 196 pounds, will stick his nose in there in the run fits, which you have to do as a nickel. Um, and he's versatile. We asked him, Hey, you, you know, you want to play corner? You want to play safety? He said, I play defensive back because, you know, most defensive coordinators want to play one safety and four corners. Mm-hmm. And when Sounds you're playing like quarters, <laughs> that's that's it, right? Yeah. It, it's all yeah. man after a second. So he said, I'm I'm a DB. I don't really care. I'll play nickel. I'll play safety. You can call me up high, down low. doesn't matter. Inside, outside. I don't think he's necessarily got the speed to hang outside consistently with a lot of the NFL mutants, but he's tough, strong, he's really smart. Got a great attitude. And the last one's Andrew Phillips, a guy that showed out at the Senior Bowl, Kentucky. Um, he'd be another, you know, I think very interesting possibility. I'm interested to see how he does at the combine. Did great at the Senior Bowl. I actually hold a little bit more stock in that because it's actually playing football against other players. But be interesting to see how he tests. He's a great, strong nickel. Um, and then running back. This one's interesting. It's more the receiving change of pace. It's not looking for the alpha lead back. It's getting something or – uh, some extra qualities that you may have in Ramondre, but you want a little bit more of, or just, you know, change your pace, give him a break. Um, Ray Davis from Kentucky. Uh, although he is a bowling ball of a dude, he was one of the leading receivers, uh, as a running back in college football, love his game. Blake Watson from Memphis. If you're talking about pure, like receiving as a running back, the leading CFB receiver as a running back last year, Bucky Irving, a little bit more speed out of Oregon. Um, also a very good receiving threat, a little more change of pace, change of direction. Ramondre has got great feet, but he doesn't have that sort of short area electricity that Bucky does. So he would bring again, something you don't necessarily have. And the last one's way down the board might not even have to draft him. Probably do Jawar Jordan, Louisville. Um, again, very good receiver and Jawar Jordan, one of the best blockers of the group that I just mentioned, which I know is going to be important with somebody new manning quarterback position in New England. And then a little bonus, a little, little, little local flavor. Dylan Lobay. Let's go. Okay. Go. <laughs> I was waiting on that one. Let's his, go. His pro comparison is a guy that played in New England for a long time. So let's just let's just follow the trail. Let's just put Dylan in in New England down the board and i think he'd be a fan favorite pretty much instantly the reason there's a 39 in i did i never point the right way there it is the reason there's a 39 in there is because of danny woodhead when i started following you go he was my favorite player it was like tom brady who i'm looking at the short white running back thank you very much love the lobby love that very much and also i gotta ask you yeah criminal if i didn't the quarterbacks Right, we're talking yeah. about the top three guys. Caleb Williams, mm-hmm. I think, you know, he's not making it to the Pats. But Jaden Daniels and Drake May, it seems yeah. like one of those guys has a pretty decent shot because we don't know Jaden Daniels picking up steam. Combine could even shoot it up even higher. So mm-hmm. 
How comfortable would you be with the Patriots taking either guy? What are some things that you think would be exciting and would fit in their scheme? You know, especially with McAdoo, how much he loves just physical talent. And then you have Alex Van Pelt, who also like he kept emphasizing leadership. He wants accuracy, decision making, all that. But leadership was a big thing for him. So between those two guys, how would you feel about either one of them being selected at number three overall? I think they're both great prospects. I spent oh about five days about a week ago with the top four quarterbacks because it is going to be certainly I'm a bears fan. It is going to be the dominating discussion of this off season. It already has been. And you know, that might bleed over to New England. There's been some talk that they might be interested in Justin Fields. We'll see about that. But in terms of just the drafting quarterbacks, I really don't think unless the Patriots move up that they're going to get a shot at may. I think may will go number two that leaves Daniels. And that's not a, (laughs) that's not a backhanded compliment. Like he had more improvement than any other quarterback in this draft from last year to this year, last year, he was pretty average in a lot of ways. And this year he was exceptional. Everybody will talk about the receiving core. I get it. Those guys get open. They're going to get drafted really highly, but he is the best deep ball thrower in this class in terms of accuracy and timing doesn't necessarily have the best arm has a very good arm for his size, but in terms of getting the ball where it needs to be down the field, he is the best down the field thrower of the football in this draft. And his legs are special. May is a very good athlete and he reminds me very much of Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert is a guy who's a great athlete. When he takes off, he's super fast. He doesn't do it a lot, but it's there and he can pick up. 30 or 40 yards. It's not a primary piece of his game, but it's there. That's, that's may Daniels is he's Lamar light. He really is. When he hits that back foot and takes off that burst is special. And he makes, you know, he had 163 yards versus Alabama. Alabama's got five defenders that are going to get drafted in the top 150. Like these are, this is the best college defense. You think they weren't ready for him? (laughs) Like they were ready for him. And he took four yard or four runs of over 20 yards each in that game. Looked Like he was on a different speed. That was when I was like, Oh no, this, this suits for real. (laughs) So you can say quarterbacks are mobile or quarterbacks are running threat. And then there's Jane Daniels who is on another level there. But also when you look at his, again, elevation from last year to this year as a passer, nobody made more strides. And if you, you know, depending on how you think about quarterback development, you know, some people say, oh, he's going to regress. Some people say, hey, he hasn't his ceiling yet. Like Daniels is a very intriguing player. He would be a very different fit for the Patriots. Patriots fans would learn to love him very quickly. He would be excitement every Sunday. Wide open playbook, especially in those empty packages. Van Pelt loves empty, and he touched on last season how Deshaun Watson gave him the ability to, like, it's not just passing when we're an empty because you also have to think about the QB run game. I really do like, I think May gives you that as well, but like you said, Jaden's on a totally different level. You brought up Justin Fields. As someone who knows the Bears closely, what's the book on him, and is he someone the Patriots should seriously consider trading for? Because I've seen the QB school and JT O'Sullivan mentioning that there are times where you see that, like, A, anticipation, and Uh he's kind of like, why aren't we seeing more of this, and why aren't they really catering to his strengths? We saw last year Patriots fans remember Justin very well because the Bears (laughs) were like, wait, we have a Ferrari at quarterback. Why are we not, you know, using the Lamar game plan? And they stole that and ran the Patriots right out of their own home stadium. So, 
you know, there's still obviously the criticism. He holds on to the ball too long and all those things. Are those accurate? You know, do you think the criticisms are fair or do you think there's more potential than maybe he's getting credit for? Uh, both, right? Mm-hmm. There are times when he can play better in the offense around him. There are times, certainly over the first three seasons, where the offense, the coaching has let him down. Has that been, has that relationship been all one way or all the other? Is it all the offense's fault and all the coach's fault or is it all Justin's fault? Neither. They've both been to blame. That makes it harder to pull it apart. Uh, There are times, like you said, JT and I talk all the time, and there are definitely times when he sees it, is able to move through his progressions and make really good plays from the pocket. The, The criticism is yes, it takes him still longer to do that than we would like to see at year three. That's just a subjective measure of we would like to see more progress at this point with a guy that has 39 starts. Like that's a lot of starts. Um, not a lot of guys that aren't very good get that many starts. We don't, we don't have that sort of, you know, that much grist for the mill for a lot of guys. We've seen a lot from him. The running ability is special. He is not like Lamar because he is bigger, stronger, more powerful, and as fast. I don't think he's as quick, but he is easily as fast, if not a little bit faster. So he's his own kind of runner, but he can break games open that way. It is about operating the offense from the pocket on time and on schedule and not turning it into those things when you don't need to. And it reminds me very much of what Andy Reid said to Mahomes in the first season when he was a starter, which was the first two and a half seconds are mine. You do what I want for the first two and a half seconds. Then go be Patrick. I don't want to legislate Patrick out of you, but for the first two and a half seconds, you do what I say. Then you just do what you do. And I think whoever ends up coaching Justin Fields next has to establish that and say, I need you to do what I need you to do consistently for the first two and a half seconds. Look, if that breaks down, go run 80 yards and score a touchdown because you can. Like, I'm not going to keep you in the pocket. Um, Finding that balance is going to be a thing. I think Justin will be successful in this league. I think he will be the starter in this league. Um, it It is about landing spot. The Bears were not the best landing spot for a number of reasons. I hope they would be as a Bears fan. I wanted Justin to succeed desperately. Uh, I think, again, given an offensive coordinator that he can mesh with and plenty of talent around him, he's going to need that. Lots of quarterbacks do. Uh, hasn't always had that in Chicago. If he lands in a talent-rich spot, a lot of people are talking about Atlanta. Like, give Atlanta like one more piece at wide receiver and put Justin in that offense. Could be a lot of fun. Be a lot of fun. Is he worth it for the Pats with an early second-round pick while they're still rebuilding? Uh, that's the thing. Is you're going to have to pay him not this year, but next year. So you're not going to see a huge, uh, huge financial savings that you would even picking a quarterback at three because. Uh, draft picks are slotted, uh, certainly at the top of the draft by slot, not by position. So it doesn't matter what position you pick, you're paying them a a pre-agreed price at a slot for quarterback. That's far below what the typical average starting quarterback gets. So that's what everybody talks about that quarterback savings on a rookie quarterback deal. Um, if you go to a position, interestingly enough, like tight end, you're actually paying what the top tight ends make right off. If you draft a tight end in the top 10 quarterback it's not that way you have a huge savings justin's only a year away from getting paid and i think the minimum is probably the daniel jones deal plus interest because it's been a couple years like that's going to be about the range for him as a starter so you have to decide 
whether you want those traits and whether or not you're comfortable with where he is now and where you think you can take him. And the other thing is the opportunity cost of not having to spend the number three pick on a guy like Jaden Daniels and instead accelerating that timetable that you talked about, Taylor, and getting a guy like MHJ at three and saying, hey, now we have Fields and MHJ a year early. Now, is that exciting enough for us to say, hey, we have to pay Justin next year and, and figure that into your financials? So it's all, it, you know, it's plates on sticks, right? And if one falls, you got to have another one. Um, they may very well decide that this is a better option than trying to spend a year with a rookie, or they may say, hey, we want that rookie benefit for, you know, financial benefit for five years. And we're okay, like you said, waiting a year, getting our alpha next year, and really making a run at it at that point. Depends on where they're at, where Robert Kraft is at in terms of organizationally, like how much rope they have. Um, and we'll see, but it would be fast. It will be fascinating either way. Let's put it that way. And then to close out, the combine, you're going to be there. I'm going to be there. Super stoked yes, to see you there. Yeah. Who should Pats be fans be looking? Yep. Who should Pats fans be looking out for? Or even more generally, who are you going to be looking out for? If it's for fit, if it's for pure entertainment, like there's somebody yeah. you think is just going to blow everybody away. And it's just like, yeah, at the end of the day, this is still fun. Watch this guy. Give me some names. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that. I think that's what it's you know really good for. You're always as a draft analyst looking for the exclusionary thresholds that guys don't hit at certain positions. You know, if a pass rusher has a really bad three cone, or you know, uh, you know doesn't have a great ten yard split, or a cornerback has terrible agility, or something like that, can drop them out. Other than that, it's really the popcorn factor of how many guys over three hundred pounds are we going to see run sub five forties. And I bet that number is going to be higher than it's ever been. How many guys are we going to see run four twos this year? We might see three or four. I know there are at least three guys that have run four twos timed in training already around the country at places like Exos. It's a very fast group. So that's always great popcorn fodder. We're going to see a lot of very, very powerful guys, uh, guys like Chris Jenkins from Michigan, um, Kingsley Suamataya, the tackle from BYU, he might run in the four eights at three twenty something. Ooh, put him on yeah. your list, Pat's fans. Yeah. Put yeah. him on the list. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of fun performances. There always are. It's fun to see how far the bar gets pushed up every year. And you know, yes, there'll be some guys where this hurts their stock a little bit, either through measurements or again falling below a threshold. But for me, it's just way more fun to see the superlatives and to and to pull guys from down the board that you know didn't play at a big school, maybe didn't get the all-star invite, do get a combine invite and, you know, some six, three receiver runs of, you know, four, three, one. And you're like, Oh, okay. Like, I think we could work with that. So it's, it's a great time. Looking forward to being there. Looking forward to seeing you there. Absolutely. EJ, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for joining us. Please let the people know where they can find you and what fantastic work I'm sure you got coming down the pipeline. Yeah. Bootleg football is really it. Go to YouTube, search bootleg football. You will find us there putting out two pieces of content a week, one draft focused pod and one interview that we pulled from the Shrine Bowl each week until the draft. Uh, we'll have a couple of live streams just so everybody can blow off steam and ask draft questions before that. And then when we get to the draft, we do famously live stream every pick uh, and we will be doing that again this year. I watch religiously. You all should too. Highly informative and a great way to catch up. If you don't have the time to get all that information yourself, you guys do a great job. Thank you again for joining, brother. Thank you all for watching. As always, take care of yourselves. 